another episode of The Real Pulpit. My name is Graham Pura, I'm your host, and today we're moving away from the world of movies to talk about a Netflix phenomenon, Stranger Things. Its second season premiered on October 27th, and we have a crack team of analysts here to give you some nicely aged hot takes. With me is Alex Boyd, the editor-in-chief of The Voice. Hey, everyone. Mika Bernhard, the social media editor of The Voice. Hello, happy to be here. And DeJore Evans, halftime leisure assistant for The Voice. Hey, everyone. So we have a lot to talk about, so let's just get right into it. Uh, let's start by giving our overall thoughts on the season. What did you like? What did you dislike? Better or worse than season one? Take it away. Boy, do you want to start? Sure. So it was definitely bigger. I don't think that necessarily meant it was better. I do prefer season one, but I thought it was a very solid sequel, about as good a sequel as we could have hoped for. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think overall it had some great plot elements. Um, I just didn't really enjoy how a lot of the characters that we got to see so much of in the first season uh, were now in the backseat in the second season. Um, yeah, I agree. I really like this season. Overall, I don't think it was better than season one, but... To be honest, I had a big of little fear of this season. I didn't know if they were going to be able to live up to all of the hype, and I think they managed to do that. So, yeah, I think it was as good as we could have hoped for. Yeah, overall, I was definitely satisfied, and I do think that a bit of the novelty of watching, because the first time I watched the first season of Stranger Things, it just absolutely blew me away. Um, and I didn't have quite the same feeling the second season, which makes sense, but I still think it was a really, really well-done season, and it lived up to my expectations. Uh, so let's get started with talking about the new character, because there are a ton of new characters who are introduced in the second season. And I want to start by talking about Bob, played by Sean Astin, because he is 100% my new favorite character <laughs> on the show. And he meets a tragic, tragic demise that is completely unfair and unjust to his character. What did you guys think of Bob? Bob is a sweetheart. I loved Bob, except... I did it so much in the beginning. I was almost convinced that Bob was evil. Like, Me the too. whole time, I was just watching. I was like, no, he's with the lab. Like, he's trying to get Will back into the Upside Down or something like that. Like, I was just convinced there was something shady going on with him. But there just wasn't. He was just that sweet and lovable the whole time. And I was really sad to see him go. So, yeah, I loved Bob, even though I had my suspicions of him in the beginning. When they had him dressed up as Count Dracula, I thought that was, like, <laughs> very obvious foreshadowing yeah. that he was going to end up evil. But happy they didn't go down that route. Yeah. Oh, I thought for sure he was bad. When he was talking to Will in the car about standing up to the Mind Flayer, I thought he was yes. absolutely bad. But, no, I know, Graham, you've described him as uh, another Samwise Gamgee before, which I think is very <laughs> apt. What a sweetheart, and I loved the, the Goonies Easter egg references and just all the all the kind of 80s nostalgia he was able to bring to it. So loved, loved the addition. Yeah. As sweet as he was, I have to disagree here. Uh, I think he was all too convenient for the plot. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just too easy that he, he knew coding and that he, uh, he knew how to operate the lab that he's never been in before. Um, and it, he kind of just furthered the the escape route. But he was a, a good addition to the, the group. You know, I think that's a good point. Something I know I've mentioned to you guys before was it was important that Bob died because somebody needed to die. Yeah. I just feel so comfortable and so safe with all these characters now that when Hopper was getting eaten or whatever under the tunnels, I was never worried for a second because I said they're not killing him off mm -hmm. last you know, last season they killed off Barb. There needs to be a real threat. Somebody had to go this season. 
it might have been just convenient that they had some new guy to kill off. Right, and you have only so many options because they're not going to kill off kids. Yes. Yeah. Netflix show, not a Stephen King horror movie. <laughs> True, but, I mean, did they have to do it in such a brutal way where I actually did, like, on a pure storytelling level, I really had an issue with the way that they, like, edited the death of... Because he gets through the door, and it's very clear that there's one demodog chasing him, and it is behind the door. And then another one just comes out of nowhere, which I guess just kind of ignored Joyce standing right there. I don't know. with his gun at the ready. Yeah, (laughs) and, I mean, we can get into that, like, the whole issue, (laughs) the continuity issues with the guns and the demodogs. But it just felt kind of... Like, I kind of started, like, laughing a little because it was just so ridiculous. And then it was also just so brutal. Oh, my God. I thought Bob deserved better. Yeah, and I feel like the moment that he stops to take a breath, I was like, oh, he's about to die. Because why (laughs) would you do that? Like, why would they have him stop just to keep, be like, whew, okay, caught my breath and keep running? Like, no, that's not what happens. So as soon as he stopped and then, like, looked at Joyce and they had that look of relief on their face at each other, I was like, oh, Bob didn't make it. That sucks. Mm -hmm. The demodogs wait for no one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but that that whole sequence where um, Dr. Owens is guiding Bob through the lab, especially Mm -hmm. when he's hiding in the closet, that was just brilliant, very tense, very taut. Yeah, I I was sad to see Bob go, and I do like the fact that his impact on Joyce, like it showed how Joyce was trying to adapt to a normal Mm -hmm. life after the Will incident last season – um, and then that just all gets thrown into upheaval. Yeah, that's a good point, too, because with, like, Bob, he mentioned moving to Maine, and, like, they could have had a normal life with that idea, and then he gets killed, and it's kind of like that whole idea of them having a normal life gets killed with him. Right, well, I think we, we were able to see that Bob was really the perfect stepdad to Will. He yeah. really got him, and they're so similar. But, of course, nothing good happens to Will, <laughs> so it could not have worked out. Yeah, Actually, I have a true. quick question. Um, for Alex's comment about somebody mm. needed to die, do we think that Bob was good enough of a character to be the one to die? Like, is it, does it still feel like it's too safe? Was was Bob kind of like a Barb in season one? I mean, everyone loved Barb and sort of got attached to that. I didn't personally, but Oof. and we yeah, can talk about to, that I later. I need to butt in right now. <laughs> Barb overrated. Like that was ridiculous. <laughs> the, the whole. Justice for Barb thing, I think, is absolutely ridiculous. She was a completely tertiary character who was killed in order to demonstrate the seriousness and grandeur of the threat of the Upside Down. She got very little development. Mm -hmm. Yes, her death, I will say that her death was unnecessarily brutal. But for a character who had like 15 or 20 minutes of screen time and was killed because of Nancy's actions, which we'll get to later... I thought that the whole Justice for Bob thing was ridiculous. I am more on board with Justice for Bob because the way that he went out was just awful. I just want everyone to let the record show that Mika does, in fact, have a Barb sticker on her laptop. Yes. I 100% (laughs) agree with Graham, though. Bob, Bob, Barb, all of that. Barb and Bob. (laughs) Barb and Bob. Great uh, great names. But, yeah, I, I didn't care. Well, I cared about Barb's death in the sense that I cared about the fact that the Upside Down was now a real threat. Because she died in, what, like the second episode of season one? Mm -hmm. So, like, it proved to me that this was something that was to be feared, that, like, the Upside Down, the Demogorgon, whatever, wasn't playing any games. But I didn't necessarily care that it was Barb that died. So when there was all this justice for Barb stuff, I was just like, Okay. Also, what doesn't really make sense to me, uh, going back to season one, is the idea that Barb died and Will didn't. Because yeah. uh, Will is such a fragile and, uh, you know, he's a young character. So why did Barb not survive and he did, even though both of them were clearly 
possessed by the upside down? Uh, that's a, I mean perfectly valid question. I, I think it's no probably because because Will is a better lead character than yeah. Barbus maybe. Uh, but yeah, I mean I think that that again I think justice for Bob should be a thing more so than. Bar, but I, I don't know. Either do either of you guys want to step in oh, here yeah, and, and advocate disagree. for <laughs> advocate for Barb here? Yeah, let, me, let me speak for the majority of America. <laughs> so, well, here, here's why there doesn't need to be justice for Bob. Everyone paid attention when he died. People were upset. You know what happened when Barb died? Nothing. There were no search parties for Barb. That's no true. school assemblies for Barb. Nobody cared. And you know what? Maybe there wasn't a ton of development. She was relatable. Hey, I get Barb. I think I have a little Barb in me. We all <laughs> do. Hope so. Don't we all? Right? Um, and, and I think Mika's question is a really good one. The only thing that I can think of is we see the we see the Demogorgon actually attack her in the pool. We just see Will get kind of disappear to the upside down, and we know that he was running from the Demogorgon from mm-hmm. his conversation in the they wall They did say he's Joyce. a good hider. Like he he's was a hiding. good hider. So my only thought is maybe the Demogorgon doesn't actually capture him in the upside down till the very end maybe he just carried him softly thing. into the upside down <laughs> didn't, I, I didn't hurt him kinda, he didn't yeah. hurt him we can hope i don't know but i think that's one of those things that like you don't really think about because the show's so good you only yeah. think about it afterwards yeah um, there are a lot of times when you just have to suspend your disbelief with this yeah. yeah yeah but you know yeah bob bob's death was a hard one to stomach but it was for all the characters unlike barb so, That's true. Valid point. You know what? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think Barb was Barb probably more a victim of bad writing than anything else. But yeah, yeah. So the other new characters include Doctor Owens, who uh, is played by Paul Reiser. If you guys have ever seen Aliens, mm-hmm. uh, he's probably best known for his role as Burke. Mm-hmm. And in Aliens, he's an absolute slimeball who almost gets all the characters killed after betraying them. So I was just waiting for the moment when. Like, we kind of with Bob, I was waiting for the moment where Dr. Owens revealed himself as, like, this really evil, manipulative character, but yeah. he really wasn't. He was kind of in the same vein as Bob, same vein as Bob like, heroic in a way, uh, choosing to stay behind in the lab. And also there's that moment at the boardroom that, Boyd, you talked about uh, earlier where he, like, comes out and says that he doesn't want to let Will die, which is a really powerful moment. Yeah, I thought that was actually more compelling to me than his decision to stay behind in the lab, which, yeah. you know, is a little more cliche, nothing wrong with that. It's kind of a show that plays on tropes, but I thought that was just a really powerful moment and the first hint we got that he was more than this lab role, more than another Dr. Brenner. Mm-hmm. And so that's what really tur- that was the turning point for me. Which in the beginning was mysterious because we saw the perspective from the scientists uh or government workers analyzing him uh you know, checking Will to see if he was medically sound, but we weren't sure if whether or not he was a villain or not. Yeah, and for a lot of the beginning of the season, it seemed like they weren't doing enough, but for, like, malicious reasons, like, they may be covering something up or, like, not wanting to help Will, but then the scene that you mentioned, the lab scene, when he's like, no, I'm not going to kill Will, an innocent child, shows that that's not necessarily the case. And I just loved that contrast with him and Dr. Brenner. Like, Dr. Brenner was the classic evil, just like, you know, evil scientist doing these awful experiments, and he was the worst. And Dr. Owens just seems like someone who is a scientist who wants to, like, solve this upside-down puzzle but isn't necessarily evil because of that. And I really enjoyed that. I do have one problem with Dr. Owens. This is something I've told you guys a lot about in the past, and it's that when Jonathan and Nancy 
trick the lab into bringing them in. He just tells them the whole plan and lets them go. What is up with this lab and just letting go everyone who breaks in? In season one, when Hopper breaks in, they just dump him back in his house and put a little bug in the light. Yeah. Do they not know how to be evil? Who has taught them how to be evil? They don't know what they're doing. It kind of makes you question how they're able to conduct such a grand yeah. conspiracy and all these yeah. cover-ups when they have such blatant security flaws. Uh, but again, that's nitpicking the overall show. I do think that one thing that's interesting is how they go away from sort of the government conspiracy angle and in the second season whereas in the first season that was such a strong part of the show and here instead you get the feeling that like the government and the characters are on the same side and they're both fighting for the same thing Mm -hmm. which i thought was kind of a nice even though i love like the conspiracy angle was one of my favorite parts about the first season but i kind of liked how it was now everyone was on the same side and it felt like the characters were working together in a much more organic way. Yeah. Um, which I thought was kind of refreshing. I'm glad they didn't just try to redo what they did in the first season with that. Yeah. Um, so after Bob and Dr. Owens, we also had two new sibling characters, uh, Billy and Max. And I think that these characters are significant enough to sort of take on their own. So Billy, I really, really did not like both mm-hmm. as a character and just like as a, a like a creative part of the show. Yeah. He felt very cliched and forced and very one dimensional. We did have one scene where he it shows that his father's abusive towards him, which sort of humanizes him more. But I still really did not like Billy. Yeah. And just like Max replaces Eleven in terms of being the only female character within the group i think billy was this replacement for steve's former self because if we go back to season one steve was almost more hated than billy was uh, and he has since reformed himself but he was that typical high school villain that everyone frowned upon yeah I, I yeah I didn't care for Billy at all. Almost every scene that he was in, besides the scene with his dad, because that sort of showed more layers to his character, and I enjoyed that scene. And the other scene with uh, Mike's mom. Besides those two <laughs> scenes, every other scene that Billy was in, I was just frustrated that he was there. I didn't really like him. I couldn't tell why he was so mean to max or what his deal was against lucas i don't know if it was racism or he was just like very just petty i don't know what it was but i protective perhaps? yeah maybe very protective but i didn't understand why he felt the need to be that protective it seemed that he didn't like max anyway so i didn't really understand that either i didn't get his motivation at all and i just felt that he was too forced too in there to be like you mentioned uh a replacement for steve and his jerk friends back then and maybe troy as well he just didn't seem i didn't like him at all yeah i mean i hated him but i think there's something to be said for just a really evil villain that everybody hates and has basically no redeeming qualities yeah so i mean it was fun it was kind of fun to see him fight and get his comeuppance from max at the end but i mean yeah not the most interesting character i i think you guys are dead on i was watching beyond stranger things because that's what i do with my time (laughs) and the duffer brothers mentioned how they felt there needed to be a human antagonist in season two whereas in season one right you had steve and you had troy and i think billy and troy are both these really stephen king style child villains who are just so irredeemably evil Mm -hmm. and like very racist and they're beyond bullies where they carry switchblades and actually want to kill the people they're bullying yeah. which is yeah. bizarre it's i thought it felt very stephen king kingy so 
maybe that's why I was a little more okay with it. But, yeah. but it definitely felt refreshing to have this human antagonist, like you're saying, because so much of the show is just about fantasy and these characters or these villains taken from Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so it was nice to see, or not nice, it wasn't nice to experience mm-hmm. uh, his villainous uh, character traits, but it was it was refreshing to see how they play into this idea that there are demons uh, beyond the upside down, uh, you know, within the home and within the family. And before we move on, I do just want to say that DuJour, the scene you mentioned earlier, <laughs> is 100% the best scene in the entire show when Billy goes to Mike's house and he and uh, Mike's mom flirt and it's just perfect. Please it's don't absolutely let it be over. Perfect. I want more. Yes. Oh, Best God. romance on the show. Oh, I'll God. say it. I'll say it. Oh, God. Because you also had uh, Mike's dad, who is one of my, I think is the most he's underrated character. He's my personal idol. Yes. I'll say it. I, he's he's my hero. It was just, that was, I think it happens in episode eight, maybe? Yeah, it's in the finale. And uh, yeah, so it's like during this really intense part of the season. And just, it's, it's like every moment I was laughing, it was yeah. really well it's done. It's so typical of Mike's dad to just be asleep that whole time. Oh, so typical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then um, to uh, Mika, your point about Max, I did think that they, I think that Max was sort of introduced this season and I don't, wasn't really a fan of the way she was treated. I felt like they went a little far, especially with Mike treating her badly and like insisting that she's not part of the group. But I do think that, her relationship with Lucas was something that was really nice and refreshing to see. And it felt like, you know, young love that was organic. And I do think that she will play an important part going forward in the coming seasons. And I really hope that we get more sort of characterization with her and Billy and just make them feel more. I mean, I felt that Max was much, had many more dimensions than Billy did, Mm -hmm. but I'm interested to see if they play against the tropes and what they're setting up with their relationship. I'm with Graham on this one. I think, the most frustrating things about Max was more how Mike treated her and how Mike treated her as a replacement for Eleven. And I think that's more of a shame, more of a product of just bad writing for Mike. I think Finn Wolfhard is a really great actor, and we really didn't get to see much of him, and he wasn't very interesting in this season, which is a shame because he's really talented. Uh, but I think that Max really was her own character, and we saw flashes of that. She's really, really strong and really vulnerable and very brave. I think that's really cool. I think she brings out right the best in Dustin and Lucas, who mm-hmm. were much less per- peripheral this season, took much of a much more of a uh, central role, and I think a lot of that is thanks to her. Yeah, I agree. I feel like like there's a scene with uh, Max and Lucas on top of the old school bus, mm-hmm. and she's talking about like her back at because he asked her does she miss California. She's talking about she misses because her dad is there. And that scene was the scene that made me really start connecting with Max as a character on her own merit and not just for, like, Lucas or Dustin. So I was really glad they included that scene. She definitely had more layers and more development than Billy did. And overall, I enjoyed Max, and I just like what she brought out in Lucas and Dustin. And I'm excited to see more of her, especially now that Eleven's back in the fold. I'm interested to see their reaction because Eleven was definitely pretty shady (laughs) toward Max when they finally met so I'm interested to see that dynamic now that both the girls are back in the fold and since she's meant to be this replacement for Eleven Eleven's back now so how is that going to work I'm really interested to see that yeah I also love the scene where Lucas is trying to convince Max that all of this is real and it just feels like such a a 
childlike kind of innocence yeah. to his performance that I found was compelling. Yeah, Lucas definitely gets a lot more to do, and a lot of that comes through Max, but mm-hmm. I was a really big fan of how they handled that. Uh, and then the last, uh, this character is a little more minor, but I do think kind of worth talking about <laughs> just because kind of a weird character, Murray the journalist, who uh, Jonathan and Nancy go to see. He essentially exists, uh, one, to take down the lab, and two, to get Jonathan and Nancy together. And just a very weird character, very over-the-top, very quirky um, kind of felt like more of a caricature than an actual human being, yeah. which I thought kind of stood out in the because the show is so good at creating these very human feeling characters yeah. that to have this kind of over the top person didn't really feel that natural, but it was entertaining enough. So I and he wasn't in the show long enough to really annoy me too much. Yeah, as as much as I hated Billy and he was my least favorite new character, I didn't really like Mary that much either. I feel like he was funny. Like, he had a lot of moments that made me laugh, such as the, the how was the pullout moment. That was hilarious. But I did not like the scene where he's telling Nancy and Jonathan, like, their whole life story and all of their problems, and that's basically what gets them together. That just felt very convenient, very, like, oh, okay, we just we have to find a way to get Nancy and Jonathan together, so let's have this random character who just met them tell them about themselves, and then they'll start feeling guilty and get together. I just didn't like that. Like, if you're going to put Nancy and Jonathan together, I just wanted a more authentic way for them to get together and not just because like some guy was telling them their whole life story that felt iffy to me so i didn't really have that like i didn't really like him that much but he was pretty funny so he didn't bother me too much so yeah i think that that i generally agree with that all right listeners at home turn up the volume because (laughs) i have a theory for you all i believe murray is the same character the actor plays in the other guys (laughs) uh, or maybe a father or grandfather of his who looks exactly like him same sort of ridiculous, funny, creepy guy. Uh, he steals the show on the other guys. That's honestly all I could see him as in this show. <laughs> I honestly forget that he was in it pretty often. <laughs> I really enjoyed him at the breakfast table the morning after Yeah. Uh, Nancy and Jonathan's rendezvous. <laughs> uh, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, pretty forgettable. I don't know if he'll be back. Don't really care, but it was really funny to think back to the other guys top three movie of all time i'm also wondering about the payoff for all their hard work in terms of getting the story out like we see at the end of the season i think was it three months later maybe um i think it was a month i think it was something like that yeah it was like some period of time right afterwards yeah i think it was a month but how does the the story really get out well they have the Um, recording right of the they have the recording, but did they send it in yet? Or So that's actually, yeah, that's a good point. I think that this is an issue with the whole ending of the show, being, or at least this season, being kind of easy and very convenient. Mm-hmm. And, like, we've seen this kind of storyline before in shows where, like, they have a recording of someone incriminating themselves. But it's usually a lot more difficult to, like, pull off than just... Because we never see them actually, like, interact with a news outlet or something. Like, here's yeah. this recording. So... It's, yeah, I think that it's really, it's kind of overly convenient, and I think it's an issue with the whole ending of the show, or this season. You would think the lab would be shut down by that point, if the story really gets out nationally, right? Yeah. Is the is the whole lab shut down? Like, weren't they packing up and leaving out? That's what's implied. Yeah, I feel like that's that's when Murray was watching the trucks go by. Yeah, I feel like they shut the lab down because of the whole, like barb inhaled like toxins or something like that that was you know the oh, like right. 
the oh, softer gotcha, version gotcha, of the gotcha, story right. that yeah. they were that they gave out so that the public would believe it. Like Barb would accidentally inhale. <laughs> She's way <laughs> smarter than that. Smarter She's than better that. than that. Is she? Yes. <laughs> okay. We don't know. That's the point. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> um, just he was very minor, but I feel like his character highlights a bigger problem I have with Nancy and Jonathan's entire storyline this whole season. It just it was very like not attached to the rest of the stuff that was going on like the whole time they were away and then they would like cut back to stuff that was going on with will i was thinking jonathan your brother is going through a lot of stuff right now and you're just like over here in some guy's place like away and it just i don't know i felt like they didn't really have a lot to do with the main story until the end and that just kind of bothered me a bit just, and I know it was mainly because they had to, like, get the Justice for Barb stuff, but I've already mentioned how I do not care about the Justice for Barb stuff. So as, a, mm-hmm. <laughs> so as an extension of that, I, I didn't really care about Nancy and Jonathan's storyline too much this season, which was kind of disappointing because I, I cared about them in the first season. I think this is going to be probably, probably my hottest take about the show, but I really, really hate Nancy. <laughs> like, I really don't like her. And in the first season... Uh, like, I didn't mind her. I knew that her actions got Barb killed, but she didn't, like, there's no way she could have known that. Like, Barb is just a loyal friend who Damn gets killed because Nancy's <laughs> off, you know, with Steve. Um, but this season, she, first off, her treatment of Steve, I think, is just awful because you have the part when um, she gets drunk and she tells Steve she doesn't love him and that she thinks everything's fake. Uh, and then that doesn't really go anywhere. Like, you never have the moment where the two come together and, like, there's another honest moment between them. Mostly because Nancy, after that, like, Steve gets really mad at her and then Nancy just runs off with Will and then the two fall for each other, which I thought was completely kind of forced. Um, and it was foreshadowed a bit in season one, but honestly, I think Steve deserves better because he has some really great moments in the show, but he's done a real disservice by Nancy and how Nancy treats him. I think Steve deserves better. I think Jonathan deserves better. I was mm. all in on, on Jonathan and Nancy. I'm off. I'm off the train. I think in my ideal world, Steve and Jonathan become best friends. <laughs> Neither of them are with Nancy. I don't hate Nancy. I think Nancy's writing was much worse in season one. I really liked her in season one. I thought like her rebellious nature was really, really cool. She was very brave. Sticking, you know, It was much more satisfying when she would stick it to Steve when he was still kind of a bully obviously he's turned it around and i really love him now but she was really badass she would always have the gun up front jonathan wouldn't have the gun she would have the gun she was the one that you trusted when the demogorgon came came a knocking and yeah she seems really immature in this season i get if she doesn't know what she wants but i wish that she was more upfront about it with both these guys because yeah i feel for i feel for both of them yeah, I, I I agree. I don't know. I just really don't like Nancy. I think with Nancy this season, they were trying to play up the whole angle of her being, like, very distraught over Barb and, like, not necessarily making the best decisions because of that. And I just feel like it didn't work as well as maybe, like, they intended it to. Um, I don't hate Nancy. I don't, I don't love her either. I'm kind of, like, sort of in the middle with Nancy. I don't have too much of an issue with her. I also really didn't take that much of an issue with her for most of the season i just didn't i also didn't like the way she treated steve but not until after the drunken rant i didn't take too much issue with them until the fact that after she like goes on a drunken rant and then she doesn't address it afterwards was my problem with nancy that she just sort of like let it sit and didn't really talk to him at all that was my problem but overall nancy was just kind of mad for me this season which i think 
is even worse than hating her because at least hating her like you have an opinion but when she's mad she's just mad and I didn't really yeah I'm just frankly a little bit confused by her relationship with Jonathan uh, in terms of their romance because it seems like they bond a lot over their mutual interest in getting the story out and uh, really you know, spreading awareness about what's happening in the lab but Steve could have just just as easily been that guy helping her out you know he fought the demogorgons he knows what's happening so and he's a good guy he is reformed so he easily could have been the character that jonathan was this season he's also the one who's going to the dinners with beth beth's parents whether even though he really didn't know beth at uh sorry barb at (laughs) all so i think that's really important yeah yeah uh steve gets a lot of really good moments in this season the one that comes to mind is when um, the kids are in the bus and they're trying to lure Dart to them. And then Steve goes out with a bat to try mm, to find him yeah. and then gets surrounded. Loves that bat. Yeah. Uh, I really like – there are some very heroic moments from Steve that felt very earned. And I really like what they've done with his character. They set him up as this archetypal bully, like the hot shot who's king of the school. And then they completely have turned that on their head, on its head with him. Yeah, I honestly love Babysitter Steve. Like, <laughs> he was amazing. And all the memes about him being, like, one of the great supportive moms and Stranger Things is just perfect. Um, I really love him and Dustin's relationship. Mm-hmm. I felt like Steve made Dustin better this season. Um, and I just, yeah, I loved his interactions with the kids. I loved when Billy came and he was very protective over them. All of that was great from Steve. He probably had one of the best arcs this season as a character and yeah Steve 10 out of 10 for me yeah I think that's a really good point I love the friendship between Dustin and Steve I thought that that was one of the better stronger relationships that you don't really think of when you first start the season but they like the two of them on sort of like a buddy cop road trip type of thing as they go looking for dart I thought that was absolutely hilarious um transitioning more to talk about like Dustin and some of the returning characters because the core of Stranger Things really is these characters the kids um, and a relationship besides Dustin and Steve that really does get some development this season is the friendship between Mike and Will which gets a lot of screen time and probably really like the thrust of both of their characters at least more so for Will or sorry more so for Mike is their relationship what did you guys think of the way that the season handled Mike and Will's friendship um, I really love seeing them interact, especially during the uh, the scene, the Halloween trick-or-treating oh, scene, yeah. where uh, Will and Mike are just sort of off on their own, and Mike's really upset about 11, I mean, not 11, uh, Max joining with the group, and they're sort of in the background just talking, and Will has another one of his episodes, one of his moments, and Mike comes in, and is like, it really... It's clear that they have a really strong bond there. And um, just to go off more on talking about Will, I really love Noah Schnapp this whole season. Will, for me, was the breakout character this season. I thought I'm kind of overseeing Will being tormented so much, and I hope next season they move away from Will as sort of the one who, like, the propeller of all the incidents. But it didn't mind watching it again because Noah Schnapp did such an amazing job pulling it off, and I was just so blown away by his acting and his ability to carry scenes that are actually really difficult even for some adults to do like that scene where he's tied up and he's screaming let me go let me go that's not easy to pull off and he did an amazing job so I loved Will he was great 
Yeah, just please let Will go on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> next yeah. season. It is brutal. It was kind of a full-on exorcist scenario this season. And it, oh, it, it just hurts to see. Uh, yeah, love to see those moments between Will and Mike. And I thought those were some of the few really valuable Mike moments throughout the season, unfortunately. Would love to see more of that, too. Yeah. Yeah, Mike uh, sort of gets the short end of the stick from the kids. He doesn't really have that much to do. And it's kind of a waste because Finn Wolfhard is such a talented mm-hmm. actor. Um, but the moment when um, Joyce, Jonathan, and Mike are trying to bring Will back and you have these this very emotional moment when they're talking about their memories with Will, all three of those actors just pull that off really well. Yeah. I think that's one yeah. of the strongest moments of the season. I think Will's performance definitely reminded me of you know, going through puberty. <laughs> it's just like the embodiment of the angst yeah. and the the torment of adolescence. Kind did of. you get possessed by a demon? I did, yeah, it was pretty rough. <laughs> <That's>, it's relatable. <laughs> it's very relatable. And just to bring up the point of Mike taking a back seat, yeah, that was one of the more disappointing aspects of the season for me because, like you mentioned, Finn Wolfhard is such an incredible actor. And the scene where Mike and Hopper are in the room after Eleven yeah. comes back and Mike is just like screaming like it was your fault like just going off on Hopper was so good and just it reminded me how great Finn Wolfhard and I was like I wish I would have saw more of his acting chops this season but yeah. his his backseat gave more room for some of the minor characters from last season like right. Lucas and Dustin to grow so I guess I was more okay with it but it, it was kind of disappointing going back to Will as much as he went through though love to see him get that dance yeah. That was Good perfectly done. Yes. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then the the other character we mentioned with Steve was Dustin. And actually, this was something I thought that I didn't really like about this season, was that outside of Dustin's sort of buddy-buddy relationship with Steve, mm-hmm. Dustin was kind, like, kind of annoying, but also like took actions that were so like stupid and wrong and in like lying to his friends lying to his mom which both of those felt very mean-spirited and very unlike dustin and like putting people in danger and the whole dart storyline didn't really work with me that much um because i felt like that sort of went against like dustin was always the earnest one i didn't really that didn't really connect with me i thought it was completely out of character in season one he is the voice of reason among the friends he's the one who's maintaining the party you know, telling Mike and Lucas when they're being unreasonable. He's the mature character, and he's the complete opposite in season two. It's mm-hmm. so obvious that this thing is evil. And, you know, why would Dustin, of all people, go against the advice of his friends? What it does do, however, is I think I think it brings out the underappreciated aspects of Lucas. I loved Lucas in season one. Everyone thought he was mean, but he was the necessary pragmatist. Yeah. You know... Eleven was a stranger to them. I don't know if they could have trusted her. Obviously, now they can. But I think you need that kind of hard-ass voice of reason sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you know what? He was dead He was dead on about Dart. So I think people can see that Lucas is often right and that you need that voice in the group from this exact situation. Yeah. Yeah, Dustin kind of felt like a caricature of this comedic element that he was in season one and it felt a little bit cringy to watch him uh, not be taken seriously by anyone Um, but then again it kind of makes sense when he he went through all of these really just irrational actions like feeding 
an animal that is clearly gonna murder your cat someday. Yeah, I I recently rewatched. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. No, um, I recently rewatched uh, a few episodes of season one with a friend who's starting Stranger Things, and watching Dustin in that season. And thinking about him in season two, I was just like, oh, yeah, Dustin in the beginning of season two was kind of annoying. Like, it was, I agree with Alex, it was completely out of character uh, for me. And I just felt like I just wanted him to stop being so frustrating, you know, and get back to the Dustin, the voice of reason, the mature one that we all knew and loved. Um, but once he uh, gets with Steve and they start that dynamic, I'm like, okay, I, I'm cool with Dustin again because I, I just love their interactions. And I still love Dustin, but mm. I just I felt that his whole dark storyline, I don't know if I was really into that just because it made me upset at Dustin, and I don't ever want to be upset at Dustin. The one moment that really rang false to me with Dustin was when he lied to his mother about the cat to get his mother to leave. First off, because it's, like, overly convenient. And also, I, it just felt so mean-spirited. And for a character who, like, I loved in the first season so much, to see him <coughs> manipulate his mother like that, I don't know. Although it did come out with, like, I love the, the moment, I think it's at the end of the third or fourth episode, when you see Dart eating the cat. Like, that, I think... Sort of worked on a multiple... I thought it was a great moment because it worked on multiple levels. It was kind of funny and it was macabre and it was dark and disturbing. And yeah. I really like that because that's what Stranger Things does really well. Yeah. But him lying to his mother just... It felt wrong. It felt manipulative. I really didn't like that. Yeah, I agree. Can we talk about the scene where Dustin encounters Dart in the Upside Down and he uh, manages to save the group by feeding Dart uh, the candy bar? Yeah, speaking of convenience, like, yeah. I, yeah, this was part, you know, going back to, like, the whole idea that the the end of the season is really convenient and it's very easy. And the my issue with that scene is that you see that Dustin, it's it feels like a one-way one way relationship between Dustin and Dart. Dustin really likes Dart, but Dart clearly is not bonding with him. Like, that kind of gets reinforced when Dustin feels like he's in danger when he's trying to get Dart to go down to the storm drain yeah. or to the storm cellar. Um, so, yeah, like, I didn't see why Dart would all of a sudden bond with Dustin in that moment. Right. What does that say about the Demogorgons, that they can be trained as pets, that we can teach them how to play fetch? You know, the same things that killed Bob doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I feel like it would have been better if they had established early on in the season that Dart and Dustin's relationship was more of, like, a two-way street. But it I never got that from the relationship. It always felt like Dustin was like, this is my pet, and Dart was just a demodog, like they are. So when all of a sudden, like, Dart is like, oh, I remember Dustin, and just lets them go, it was, it just felt, like, kind of convenient to me. But I was... I feel like I was so into the episode, it didn't bother me too much, but it, it was kind of weird in the moment. I was just like oh, okay, this is convenient, but it was whatever. I think I'll push back a little bit on the dart hating. I think that <laughs> there was some there were some cute moments when Dustin's walking around with dart hiding under his hat for a little while, and I guess in my mind that was bonding. Yeah, I mean, I think it was really convenient at the end. I, I do think it was a little bit more of a two-way street. I don't know, I'm kind of intrigued to see a little more complexity to the Demogorgon and see them a little more yeah. animal-like, just being controlled by an even more evil entity in the Mind Flayer. But my problem with the ending was less the dart aspect and more the closing of the gate, which I thought was a really easy 
similarity to season one where all you need is for Eleven to show up and use her powers and get a little bit of a headache and she can solve anything and why didn't they do that in the first place? Yeah. You, just, to, sorry, just to go back to the dart thing for one moment, I think that another issue with that scene, Mika, that you were talking about is that you have that fake out where you're very tense and then it turns out that Dart is fr- – like he just eats the nugget and they can go by. Um, but then you have the same exact sort of scene when Dustin and Steve can't climb up quickly enough and they're waiting and the, the demo dogs are charging at them and then they just run by. So it's another like build the tension up and then a fake out. And I think if they had done one or the other, it would have worked better. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that the second one with Dustin and Steve, it worked better because it was explained by the plot because mm-hmm. they were running back to try to – uh, get Hopper and Eleven to stop them from closing the gate. Um, but those, both of those scenes working together, it just felt kind of lazy. That's a good point. Um, um, but yeah, I do think that the the whole like, hey, let's just have Eleven stand like and lift her hand up and have her nose bleed, and then like we're all saved. I thought that that was pretty cheap. I feel like this brings up an interesting question though about the demo dogs and all of that, because so if they're all like this these things that are controlled by the Mind Flayer, then if they are no longer controlled by the Mind Flayer, can they just be pets or something like Mm. that? Because, like, we saw at the end that when she closed the gates, they all seemed to die. But that's because the gate was closed, not necessarily because the Mind Flayer stopped controlling them. So is it sort of like a Will thing? Because when Will stops being controlled by the Mind Flayer, he's back to being Will. So if the Demo Dogs are no longer controlled by the Mind Flayer, then can they just be, like, normal pets? I don't know if there's an answer to that question, but... So I'll ask this. Was the Demogorgon in Season 1 controlled by the Mind Flayer? Mm, I think that's a really good... That is that's a great a really, question. really, really good question. And I think, like... Like, I think so. I think that the, the Mind Flayer... Because uh, clearly at the end, the Mind Flayer is just pushed back. He's not defeated yeah. totally. Uh so I would think that the Mind Flayer is sort of working as the big bad of the show, mm-hmm. not just of this season, especially with the last shot when you see it, like, looming over the school. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I think the answer to that, this is something that they may or may not go into, but I would think that the answer is yes to that question. Yeah, and it also makes you wonder whether or not the Mind Flayer has emotions or some kind of sentient capability because we know that from Will, uh, he mentions that you know, this mind flare or whatever entity is possessing him does not like the heat and he uh, he knows that Will is a spy. So there's definitely this kind of, um, you know, human-like aspect to this this monster, but we don't really know too much and I hope they explore that in the coming seasons. Yeah, a more layered villain than just like the evil Demogorgon, I think. Yeah, and this this also leads to a question that I've kind of had with the season as a whole, but at the end, when they exercise Will and he's no longer possessed by the Mind Flayer, he seems to go back to normal one month later where he's just Will again. But earlier in the season, he was still having these flashbacks and these episodes of the Upside Down before he even got possessed. So does him no longer being possessed free him from those episodes of the Upside Down? Because he was still having them even though he wasn't possessed yet. Because I was... I. What I thought was that he got possessed in the the field when the Mind Flayer, like, entered him and all of that. And that before that, he wasn't necessarily possessed. He was just having episodes. But was he always possessed? That's a great point. But I think we need to consider this idea that the Mind Flayer is not necessarily 
uh, an entity that needs to enter you physically mm. to be a villain um, because this whole villain came about in the first place when Eleven um, was in the lab and she somehow encountered the monster in her telekinetic uh, foray. So yeah. I don't think this is the traditional monster that needs to physically enter you, if that makes sense. I think that's a really good point. I also think there was some physical connection because he coughed up a little yeah. slug of a demogorgon or something like that. So I think he probably was, he had some sort of connection, and then when he was re- physically captured, that made it imminent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, um, to nitpick the ending a little bit more, uh, one thing that kind of annoyed me was it's pretty clearly established in the second to last episode that guns have no effect on the demodogs, like we see the guards shooting at them have no effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hopper tries to kill the demodogs that are eating Bob, and it fails. And then all of a sudden, when Hopper and Eleven are on the lift, and Eleven is trying to close the gate, the bullets all of a sudden start knocking the dogs back and yeah. start knocking them down. Now, I don't know if that's just like a, they don't hurt them, but they like impact them enough to knock them backwards. But I don't know, that felt like kind of a blatant continuity thing that the show just kind of used for convenience at the end. And yeah. I did think that what, – what did you guys think of the idea of, like, instead of having one Demogorgon in the first season, which was the concentration, it like, the show kind of does what sh- sequels do a lot, and they just had more. Like, they had more <coughs> demodogs, ba- like, more of a – like, more threats. What did you guys think? Did that decision work for you guys? Because for me, I kind of like the singular antagonist that the Demogorgon represented. The demodogs – they not that they didn't work, but I think I preferred the demo the demogorgon in the first season. So then you're implying that the demo dogs are different from the demogorgon in the first season. Is that something that's established? Well, uh, the, well, the, like they're different, like beasts, right? Are they? Because they look very similar. They have like confused. the same. Uh, like they seem like they're from the same. I'm forgetting my basic biology species. I think, <laughs> but they seem like they're different. Like, because the Demogorgon did not run the way that the dogs do. Yeah. Yeah. And it was actually, uh, there was someone who played the Demogorgon in the first That's season. True. That yeah. is true, yeah. For the listeners at home, I would like to remind everyone, Graham was required to read On the Origin of Species for an English class <laughs> this semester. Shame on you, Graham. But yeah, really interesting point, Mika. Um, in the first season, it was about half an actual actor in costume, half CGI. This season, there was a lot more CGI. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't bother me so much. And the whole bigger sequel concept didn't bother me so much. I agree I preferred the singular antagonist. I don't know if it would have done the same thing in this season. I think it would have been a little convenient if there was all of a sudden, you know, the Demogorgon disappears to the Upside Down or is destroyed. And then here's the new thing that they have to battle and it's very similar. Here's a monster of a slightly different creation. So I like that this antagonist still had a connection to season one. It seems like there's, you know, there's some continuity there, which I appreciate. Didn't love, didn't like it as much as the first season, but I guess I don't know what their options were. Yeah. True. Right. And I think the comparison almost goes out the window because you have this new threat of the mind flare, which is almost, you know, so much bigger uh, yeah, I do think that the demodogs work as, like, sort of minions of the Mind Flayer, mm-hmm. which I think is a neat idea. Um, so, yeah, maybe I, I guess I kind of take my point back earlier. I, the demodogs did work. 
I, I, I didn't mind the bigger at all. Like, I, I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, well, Villanette's ten times as much as the uh, the Demogorgon from the first season. What bothered me was the, the ending of the bigger villain. Like, if you're going to have a bigger villain, the stakes should be a little higher for the ending. And as we mentioned before, it was kind of just the same Eleven putting her hand up at the whatever it was, this time the gate, not the Demogorgon again. And yeah, like, I guess this time she levitated a little bit and had two nosebleeds and not one. But, like, it didn't feel that different of a conclusion from the first season, and that's the part that bothered me. If you're going to do bigger, then have the ending be bigger as well. Don't have it still be the same solution and something that could have been resolved a while ago. I feel like close the gate was such an obvious thing. I don't know. Yeah, and it's not 100% clear exactly what the stakes are at yeah. the end. Like, in the first season, it's very clear that the kids are in danger and that's mm-hmm. what we care about. But in the, it, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure what exactly the threat was. Like, what if Eleven had failed? What would have yeah. happened? Like yeah. I said, more people need to die. More yeah. people need to die. Let's mm-hmm. make it a little more real. There's no one that I want to die, but... <laughs> yeah, no, Dustin. they have to choose someone to die. Make, make me a little more upset. I'm way too comfortable in this show at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, So... The sort of the last relationship that really is the bedrock, one of the bedrocks of this season, is the relationship between Hopper and Eleven, which I absolutely loved. I thought that this was one of the best parts of this season because both Hopper and Eleven fill a void for the other person. Hopper lost his daughter, so Eleven becomes the surrogate daughter. And then uh, Eleven's father was a complete psychopath who yeah. uh, I think she kills in the first season, right? Yeah. I, I think. Dr. Brenner? Dr. Oh, the Brenner. The Demogorgon yeah. gets him. Oh, the Demogorgon yeah, yeah, gets him. So he gets, yeah, he gets killed in the first season. And so Hopper becomes the surrogate father for Eleven. I really love their relationship. Uh, I thought, like, the egos and the making breakfast, like, that was very cute. And then also the the conflicts between the two of them felt very real and very natural. Yeah, I agree. I really, I really enjoyed their dynamic. And I felt like I liked seeing... Eleven, because she, she's, in the first season, she's so much of, like, this, I guess you call, like, E.T. character in a way. Like, she's just been thrust into this world, and she has to learn everything. And now, in this season, she's a little bit more, like, knowledgeable about the world, and she's a bit more understanding of things. So now ha- being able to see her deal with, like, real problems, like, a preteen would, you know, and throw tantrums, which did get kind of annoying, but I didn't mind them that much just because I kept thinking back to if I was stuck in one place for close to a year doing nothing every day, I'd probably be throwing tantrums and breaking windows if I had supernatural problems as well. So um, I really enjoyed Eleven and Hopper's dynamic and just seeing Eleven be an angry, frustrated preteen, like, any angry, frustrated preteen would be if they were in her situation. I really liked. Right. And I also enjoyed this uh, parallel between her being trapped physically in the cabin and her mm-hmm. being trapped in her own mind. Yeah. Uh, wanting to know more about uh, her mom, Terry, and, uh, you know, what's going on with her and where Will is and all of that. I thought that was a, a nice interplay. I'm very happy that they're back together at the end again. I, I agree with what you said, Dejour, when you mentioned her tantrums getting a little annoying. I love to see her be more of a kid, and maybe this is just because I know so much more about Hopper's backstory than I do Eleven's, but uh, I really, it, it got on my nerves, the psychic tantrum. I just thought it was really blowing things out of proportion, and at the end of the day, yeah, Hopper's 
not always smart about being a father, but he does everything to protect her. And I don't know, maybe I would have liked to see a little more appreciation on both sides, but yeah. I guess when you have magic powers, it gets a little more... <laughs> <laughs> the scales get tipped a little bit in, in terms of who it's easy to assign blame to. So it's it's a little tricky, but that did bother me a little bit. Yeah, it's also nice to see this contrast um, with uh, the idea of not lying. Uh, I think we saw that with uh, the group, the friend group, and with Hopper and Levin. Mm -hmm. And I like how they're so earnest in that kind of mantra um, compared to the lab which constantly feeds into this idea of lying and putting yeah. out false statements. Yeah, I think that's a, that's definitely an interesting contrast that the show likes to play with a lot. Yeah. Uh, I do think one issue that I did have with Eleven's storyline is that it kind of feels like the show is just keeping her around until the end when they need her to come in and resolve the plot. Mm -hmm. And this leads into probably the most controversial oh, thing about man. this season, uh, <laughs> which is the lost sister episode um i believe it's the seventh episode of the season mm -hmm. and basically it's an 11 centric episode where she goes off to pittsburgh and she's basically sort of called or like she connects with um eight who whose name is kali who was a her sort of foster sister when they were being experimented on and she basically has this episode where she kind of run like it's kind of like the adventures of kali and her gang and Eleven is there as well, and then they, you know, do some very skeevy things. Uh, very unlikable characters, if you ask me. Yeah. But I didn't have that much of a problem with this episode, because I really liked the second half a lot more than the first half, the moment when Eleven decides not to kill the man who tortured her mother because she finds out that he has kids and he, she has mercy on him. I think that's a really powerful moment for the character, but overall, the episode was well-intentioned, but not well-executed. <laughs> yeah. What did you guys think of uh, Boyd? I know you you are sitting back, <laughs> getting ready, just <laughs> revving up, <laughs> revving the engines. Season two was nine episodes. Season one was eight episodes. They both should have been eight episodes. Cut the episode. I think it could have been fifteen minutes interspersed in another episode. Mm -hmm. uh, look, I, I I was really happy to follow some of the milestones of Eleven's storyline. She's really badass, and I love Grunge Eleven. She, you know. She's no longer being carried by Dr. Brenner around and calling for Papa. She's really strong and independent, which I love. Uh, I got to say, if you want happiness, I don't know why you'd go to Pittsburgh. That's another story. <laughs> Look, here, here, here's the thing. I didn't care about anything that was going on in this episode besides the one-minute decision whether or not to kill that guy in the apartment. Mm -hmm. Callie was cool. I'd like to see more of her. I don't care about one other person in that group. It's not even that they're unlikable. I don't care. I was really interested when there's the 30-second X-Men sort of clip when Callie's introducing all of the different members of the group and what their, you know, what their thing is, how they're a member of the gang. And you have that one guy who's the, the huge, muscular, uh, kind of thoughtful guy. And I was like, oh, we're going to hear more from him. No, you don't. They're all so anonymous. I didn't care if they got caught. There was no tension for me. And, yeah, I, I did not see the point. I thought it was filler. I wanted to see her back with the gang. So I, I really did not like this episode. Yeah, I was also frustrated by the scene in the uh, the gas station little shop uh, where they uh, they sort of distracted the, the clerk so they could steal all this food because they had proclaimed that they're really, you know, this X-Men type group where they, they're out 
doing what they're doing for for good and to uh to seek revenge on people that have wronged them but then that was just kind of a it felt like a cheap ploy it didn't really it didn't really come together for me that scene because you have the moment at the end where eleven actually hurts the man by throwing him against the wall or he right. throws she throws him against something yeah that I think I I had completely forgotten about that scene. I think it was there to establish that, like, hey, there's a possibility that she might hurt the guy at the end or might kill the guy at the end. But yeah, I think there was there was just too much in this episode that didn't work. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that made the ending worth it. Uh, probably not. But I yeah, I guess it just the whole episode wasn't worth like the five minute sequence that was really good where she decides not to kill the guy. Now, one thing did intrigue me. So we know that. Kali is eight, right? And eleven is eleven. You know, Jane's eleven. Think about the age difference between eight and eleven. It's pretty mm-hmm. significant. I don't know, five, six years. I'm really curious because I think we're going to find out who the other numbers are at some point. How much older is one than eleven? I'm trying to figure out the scope of this thing, and I think it could be way bigger than I originally thought. Yeah, there's like an adult one who has right? it's like. 40 with kids and has like these powers or something like that that would be wild i think i think a risk i i do think that that's sort of a necessary development that the show has to take because it can't just stay in hawkins the whole time Mm -hmm. and i think that this season was an attempt by the duffer brothers to slowly start expanding the show's scope Mm -hmm. but i think that the danger with introducing adults is it essentially turns the show into a superhero show which i don't think it is but this seems to sort of be the inevitable road it's going to go down so yeah i i don't know what they can do that's the thing is like i feel like this is what it has to do and i hope that they're certainly more clever than i am in coming up with like good you know creative ways so it doesn't just turn into kind of this generic like these kids have superpowers and they can do this and that and they battle this evil yeah uh because i think that that would be doing a disservice to how original and creative the show is yeah i worry that they will later introduce a plot twist where one of the main characters has actually been in the lab before and is maybe just repressing their powers like who i didn't think much about this before but i just Perhaps. That's why he huh. keeps getting targeted. Huh. Joyce can't take that. Yeah, Joyce, <laughs> yeah, Joyce would have that. a mental breakdown if she hasn't had already like seven of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be uh, maybe we're selling Joyce a little short. She's getting tougher. Yeah, <laughs> getting yeah, tougher she is getting away. tougher. I just, oh, poor Joyce, poor Will. No, I would hate that. I would so hate that if there was a main character who was like for real to be like in the lab the whole time suppressing their memories i would hate that i feel like that'll be a sign that the show's running out of ideas yeah exactly sorry i hope that doesn't happen that'd be <laughs> that could be interesting if they can pull that off if they can yeah um so consensus on the lost sister not good Tooth ranging down. from like not good to really really awful and should not have been in the season at all uh overall yeah, I guess I could have done without the episode. It definitely, if I do rewatch season two, I will probably skip the episode. Yeah, same. Uh, and the other thing that is kind of frustrating is the fact that they keep Eleven away from the kids, like from the rest yeah. of the gang. And part of what I was really looking forward to was seeing how Eleven interacted with the kids. Yeah. And they save it up for this big emotional reunion at the end of episode eight that 
is nice, but I don't know. It felt to me like Eleven was just sort of introduced as a plot device yeah. to get the show to the ending. And I just feel like with the Lost Sister episode, I agree that it should have just been like 15 minutes spiced in with another episode because the end of the sixth episode was the Demodogs getting into the lab, and it was so tense and, and crazy. You're just like, got to watch the next one because what's going to happen? And then it's a whole episode out of Hawkins with Eleven, and the whole time I'm watching the episode, I'm just like, okay, but can we get back to the lab? Like, what's going yeah. on with our friends back in the lab? It was just, not only was the episode didn't work on its own, it was also just poor placement as well. On that same note, I did not get the cold open to episode one at all centering on those people because, again, I don't care. I don't know why it would make a difference to me whether they get caught or not. Yeah, I did love the introduction to Kali's powers because mm-hmm. I think that is really cool and one of the saving graces of, of episode seven. Yeah. But of all the things, I mean, think of the cold open to season one, which I thought was incredible, and it sucked me in. Of all the things they could have chosen, I don't get it. I really yeah. don't. Yeah, I'm also worried that they might uh, reintroduce Kali or Kali later uh, in future seasons as this kind of deus ex machina, you know, um, come in and save the day character, which I think would just be too convenient. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, Boyd, to your point, because when you see the cold open, you're like, okay, this is going to have something to do with the story. It's going to come in early. It's going to come right. in early. And then by the time I got to the seventh episode, I was like, wait, oh, right, I remember seeing them in the cold open. And while it was the a really cool way of depicting her powers, you forget about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that going forward, the show is going to run into problems where it has to expand, but at the same time, some of the like inevitable expansion might change the identity of the show. Yeah. Which I think is a risk. But I have faith in the in the Duffer Duffer brothers. <laughs> um so those are pretty much all the characters. and I think it's a testament to like how strong these characters are that we spent the last like forty five minutes or so talking about just the characters. Yeah. Um but overall, I think that one thing that was interesting about the season was the way it was paced because a lot of the Action happens in the last two episodes, and the first five or six episodes are really slow burns where not a lot happens, and it slowly builds. Like, over the course of the first three episodes, we get introduced to Dart and Max, and, like, pumpkins are dying. That's essentially the story developments over the first three episodes. Did you guys think that the beginning of the season was too slow, or did you like the slow build-up and the more deliberate sort of pensive pace? I didn't mind it. Uh, maybe I'm just a little bit of a John Hughes nerd, but I really liked to see the kids get to be kids and encounter middle school and high school issues and, yeah. you know, love, love seeing the kids' biggest problems being they're the only ones who wore the costume to school. That was, was a great moment. Oh, that was, was an amazing. amazing moment. And it was really great to see them in their element, kind of see what they're up to when they're not being sucked into alternate dark dimensions. Yeah, right, Especially in this... 80s setting like i i just really appreciated the nostalgic elements they threw in there with the music and the arcade and the fashion yeah i think that was well done yeah i really i really i didn't i liked the the slow burn aspect of the first few episodes because i just thought that being that this was the second season and it's been quite a while since the first one that it was nice to just take a, a breather for a couple episodes and get reintroduced to all these characters that we loved from the beginning with like so there was like minimal plot development but there was a lot of character and i i enjoyed that because i wanted to be introduced with these wonderful characters 
True, and I think like it's sort of gotten to the point where any Stranger Things is good Stranger Things as long as it doesn't involve Eleven in Pittsburgh. <laughs> but spending time with these characters is just they're so the way they work together and their dynamics, they're just they're great. Like, yeah, you know, no better way to put it. Um, and one thing that I sort of realized from this, or I, I sort of took away from the season, is they seem to tone down the like the references and the allusions to the 80s which i think is so prevalent like it sort of goes from homage in the first season to like Mm -hmm. kind of ripping off a lot of what was done in the 80s under the guise of like here's a reference to something you recognize so i'm sort of interested to get your guys's thoughts obviously we're not children of the 80s but i'm sure we've all encountered enough uh culture from the 80s to understand a lot of the references and i like the fact that it seemed to move more away from like sort of blatant ripoffs to more like it felt more like homages this season what did you guys think did it did uh was it an improvement did you think that there was a noticeable difference or did you guys want more references to the 80s i don't know if i totally agree that this is a less 80s season than season one i think that kind of you have the cutesy dungeons and dragons frame to season one and in this i thought it was dig dug which i think is a very 80s Mm -hmm. 90s thing to use to frame the rest of the action or, or hint at the rest of the action. And, I yeah, I guess I thought the arcade played a really large part in that. I also thought the music did a really good job yeah. of maintaining that 80s feel, especially at the snowball. Yeah. You the, had the police, you had Elizabeth Newton-John, and it was really fun. And so I thought that they didn't miss out on any of the fun that they brought from from really pushing the 80s to the forefront in season one. Yeah. The music is, like probably one of my favorite things about Stranger Things and I <laughs> favorite things about Stranger Things and I think they do a, a really good job with it again this season um, I had a very strong reaction to hearing should I stay or should I go again during the scene where they're trying to like get Will to remember who he was just because that song played such a pivotal role in the first season and hearing it again I was like oh my god yes and they just they did a really good job with using the music, not just as references, but as, like, plot devices as well. Like, you mentioned the snowball dance, and that end scene, they played The Police, um, what is the song called? Oh, Every, Every Breath You Take. And when they're, like, doing the ending and it's turning to the upside down and you're seeing the shadow monster, the exact lines from the song they use is, can't you see, you belong to me. And then they're showing the shadow monster, showing co- kind of how... The Shadow Monster in the Upside Down is saying, you guys all still belong to me. Like, you're still playing my game. I thought that was so smart and so clever. And I just love what they do with the music and all of the 80s references. I think that this season, I feel like this season was still just as 80s. Um, I do agree that it felt more homage than rip-off-y, though. Because there were some parts of season one where I felt were a little rip-off-y more than homage And this season didn't do as much of that so i agree with that point yeah very scientific terms were yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the this the song selection in this show is really on point mm-hmm. and i also liked the uh, the use of every breath you take because yeah. it also calls back to the fact that i think max keeps calling lucas stalker and oh yes. the song is about stalking uh which i actually i hadn't made the connection to the mind flyer but that was sort of my takeaway, and I was like, oh, that's a nice joke that the show is sort of going. So it works on a number of layers. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. 
So to wrap up, we've been talking for a while, but where does the show go now? Do you guys want to see an expansion of the mythology or do you want to see these characters just continue to sort of, you know, be the central focus of the show? We have the moment where, um, I guess Eleven is now Hopper's adopted daughter mm-hmm. or something like it may, the birth certificate. May, I think it is forged or I don't know if it's legit or not. But either way, that is going to be a relationship that keeps getting expanded on. And we've mentioned before that some of the new characters are going to keep getting developed. But do you think characters are going to die next season? What do you want? I guess like what do you think is going to happen? And also maybe what do you want to happen? I certainly want not, not that I, you know, want characters to die actively, but I want to see the stakes get raised a little, like Boyd was saying earlier. Yeah. What I really hope for, personally, is to see uh, more development with Billy and Max and yeah. see more backstory and to see how they play a role in eventually defeating uh, these monsters. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like, because in that end scene with Dr. Owens and Hopper, he mentions that like 11 can be out in the open but just give it a few more months or a year I think he says and if the show does the same thing they did last season where they skip a year in the season which is probably what they would do since these kids are growing very fast um that would mean that 11 can now be out in the open and does that mean that she's going to school now like what does 11 being known to the world in a sense as a person mean for her character like I want to see Eleven interacting with society, not just interacting with the characters that we've already seen her at, interact with, not just interacting with Hopper, but now interacting with the the larger themes that some of the kids, the other kids have to interact with, like bullies in school and other people. We see a little bit of that in season one when like she takes down Troy and makes him pee himself and stuff, but like I want to see the Eleven that we now know, the badass, independent Eleven, interacting with society i think that would be really cool to see yeah imagine her ordering waffles in a restaurant yeah by the end of the show these characters are going to be completely grown if they're doing four or five seasons and they're taking a year and a half in between we saw how how big the the kids got you know i feel like one of my aunts or uncles like but (laughs) we see how big they got just between seasons one and two and i'm really excited to see how they're going to change you know, as they navigate high school life and the high schoolers as they graduate, Steve's going to graduate by next season. Yeah. And I, I think that the Duffer brothers do have an end goal in mind because I think that's important for a good show is to have a end date when they want to wrap it up so they tell a complete story. And I think that by necessity of the fact that the kids are going to grow up and they're going to have to go to college and then at a certain point, you know, they're going to – I don't know if they'll, like, lose what we loved about them as kids, but – you know, at some point they're going to move on. And yeah, but when we see them all grown up, I don't know, that's going to make me feel so <laughs> old. Um, yeah, but I guess I want to see where the show is going to expand to, but I want, I don't want to see it turn into a superhero X-Men style. Agreed. Thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, any final last word on Stranger Things? I think we can all agree that the best scene in the whole show, I would say, is the Billy without well, as well <laughs> as we said earlier yeah we'll end on that note so thank you very much for listening um you can re- uh, listen to more of the voices podcast at the voice podcast network on itunes or stitcher or google play you can find them also on georgetownvoice.com you can read more 
great analysis, news, uh, hard-hitting features on georgetownvoice.com. You can find me on Twitter at Graham underscore Puro, where I tweet usually voice articles and retweet Yankee stuff and dog memes. Um, so prepare yourself for that. <laughs> uh, Boyd, where can we find you on Twitter? Alex Boyd 81 Also, mostly dogs, memes, New York sports. Very few original tweets, but I still love to follow. Yeah. And then I don't believe either of you are on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you want to plug, though? Any articles coming out soon? Um, not at the moment. I think I'll have a Game of Thrones uh, opinion mm. article coming out Ooh. soon. So, hot take on that one. <laughs> we will look forward to that. And also check out my Justice League review, which is going on. Oh, yes. Uh, going up tomorrow. I think the music is drowning us out, so no one will actually hear that last part. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thank you.